0: I'm Danny Levy, and this is Digital Transformation and Leadership. Today on the show, I'm joined by Keith Carter, who is an associate professor at the prestigious National University of Singapore School of Computing and an affiliate professor with NUS Business Analytics Center. He's passionate about bringing real life into the classroom, and he regularly engages students to broaden their experience before they graduate. Keith is also the author of Actionable Intelligence, A Guide to Delivering Business Results with Big Data Fast. It's a must-read for businesses and IT, and I personally really enjoyed it and got a ton of value out of it. It answers questions like, how long will the IT department take to deliver effective, usable reports? After investing millions in systems, why are our people still using Excel? Why do people with good facts make bad decisions? in the episode today I speak to Keith about transforming the economy and resetting expectations on what and how we should learn and we talk through three steps that will help you to think differently incorporate a data strategy that actually works and prepare your business for what's next it's a really fascinating episode with a load of actionable takeaways and I got a ton of value out of it personally and it's coming up next Keith, welcome to Digital Transformation and Leadership.
1: Thank you so much, Danny. Glad to be able to talk with you. Fantastic.
0: So welcome. And uh, to kick us off, Keith, I thought it would be really great if you could talk us through uh, your background and what it is you're doing with NUS.
1: Well, Danny, i like to say that I've had three lives as it relates <laughs> to career. Uh, first, I started off at on Wall Street and working for, at the time, Anderson Consulting, is now Accenture. And just had a great time uh, working with the clients on systems and in equities and fixed income and in companies like Goldman Sachs. And uh, if people remember, Salomon Brothers uh, as well. And then I got to move over to Estee Lauder. That's my second life in fashion. And I learned more about cosmetics than I ever thought I would. Uh, and so these days when I look at a woman's face, I can see, uh, hey, are, are they wearing uh, makeup? What, is, what, are they, what exactly is there uh, as well? Uh, but there I did uh, competitive intelligence and set up our uh, to competitive intelligence organization and s- uh, sales and operations planning. And then I had an opportunity uh, to come to and teach at the National University of Singapore friend of mine who i met at cornell Mm -hmm. uh we had kept in touch and uh, she said keith there's this uh, they're looking for practitioners to come and teach and i did a skype interview uh, and came over and to teach and when i landed in singapore the the head of department said keith okay you have to teach a 12-week course and by the way it's next week (laughs) 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 so i sat down and uh poured my corporate knowledge into a course, and I would encourage anyone to anyone who's in business to go in and try to work at teaching as well. It's so rewarding, and there's so much knowledge in our heads, and when you begin to write it down and think about it, you have much more content than any 12-week course will hold. Uh, so we got into that, um, and so I've been here at the National University of Singapore, for seven years, seven good years, I'm in the School of Computing, I teach uh, actionable intelligence, artificial intelligence, machine learning, uh, a higher level of all that, which is called intelligent systems, where, you, where you're where you making the computer think, actually, and make decisions uh, as close to as what humans do. And then I'm also director of the FinTech Lab, which is a wonderful servant leader position where I get to... Uh, teach and show people how to what fintech is all about what is financial technology and and how it's shouldn't be so mysterious and kind of the real applications of these things uh, as well so it's been a great journey um, humbling at times and and very fun
0: absolutely and I think often people the most interesting people the most talented people have had these kind of Varied backgrounds and, and worked across industries, like yourself. I think it's so invaluable.
1: Yes, and creates a couple grey hairs as well.
0: <laughs> that's, that's not, there's nothing wrong with that. It Makes you look distinguished. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and you've written a book, Keith, also around actionable intelligence.
1: Yeah, you know that was um, it was a great experience too. The the book is about. How we should approach making decisions in companies and and also in our daily life. Um, I like to ask why do people with good facts make bad decisions uh, as well? And and oftentimes we the companies many times sadly don't have good facts. Um, some 25 years after I wrote the paper at uh, Estee Lauder about having end-to-end supply chain visibility, uh, many companies still don't have that view of their tier one, tier two suppliers and, and uh, the deeper insights on their customers uh, as well. And so the book goes into, it's a book for both people that are business uh, leaders who want to convince IT hey, don't just give me a big, you know, let's do this the right way. I'll get into that later. And then the uh, IT team also to read it and look and say, hey, business, you should be asking questions first. Uh, then we can go and answer those most urgent of questions as opposed to just saying, you know, let's collect all the data. So
0: Fascinating. So we'll, if, we go, if we go into the, the topic for the day, I'm sure we'll – we'll touch on a lot more of this. So we're going to be talking around transforming the economy and resetting expectations on what and how we should learn. And I know this is something you've obviously spent a lot of time thinking about, developing, uh, writing, teaching about. It's something you're really passionate about, Keith. So uh, to kick us off, the first step we're going to talk about is tourism, retail, supply chain, and fintech. Would you be able to talk us through that, Keith?
1: Yes. What's happened is... We tend to react to big changes. Um, You know, we never fix the snowblower until it finally snows uh, sometimes and so forth. And so um, typically we're very reactive. Of course, uh, with wisdom, we can become proactive. And what's happened is companies uh, didn't see COVID-19 coming and didn't know how to react once it came, and weren't in a position to fight the competitors that were prepared. And so when you look at retail, for example, here in Singapore, Amazon is and uh, some of these other organizations, Redmart, are eating the lunches and dinner and sometimes breakfast too of The retailers that were closed, they were still open and all of a sudden you had retailers, large retailers scrambling, small retailers who had never, who had said to themselves, my customers will never leave me because they've always shopped here. And they forgot there's this very important thing that that business leaders always have to remember. Your customer is loyal to you, up until the point that they find something faster and cheaper than what you have. And so, because the business leader forgot that 20, 30, 60 years ago, when they opened their store, they were faster and cheaper than the old uncle or someone else who was next door or down the street or whatever, and they were capturing business because they were the new people on the street. And so this COVID-19 has really shed a light on this challenge of, and I hesitate to even call it transformation. It's something more basic. It's just paying attention to the customer (laughs) and remembering that you have to earn the right to win.
0: Absolutely. Is there any advice you'd give to the listeners out there on, on how you can just listen better to your customer? How you can, I guess sometimes you've got to almost look around corners. You've got to predict what's coming next. You've got to embrace the crazy ideas when times are good, because if you're not pushing the envelope, you're going to get caught napping. But is there any, is there any kind of recommendation you would give Keith?
1: A few. Yeah. If you're starting with, if your kids aren't shopping at your store, Then you know there's a problem. (laughs) You are because because they're shopping at your competitor because they're cheaper because you're not you know you're not giving your kids all the things and they're faster uh, because kids typically are distracted with many different things um, as well. So there's warning signals that someone can um, pick up and see. I think. uh, you know, this is an area where any company can at least start from a basic perspective in, in the consumer and retail, we're focused on retail, not the B2B of course. Yeah. Um, the other aspect is to really continuously say to the customer, um, what is it that, um, ask them, what is it that you need next? What is it you need now? Um, your orders on, from me have decreased. Uh, let's have a honest, if we've we've been loyal for 30 years, can we have an open honest discussion as to what's happening? Mm-hmm. And the fatal thing that Kodak did, you know, Kodak was, was it was amazing. Kodak had like $60 billion in revenue in 1970, you know, that's like tremendous, <laughs> right?
0: Yeah, um, that's apple money.
1: It, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and uh and they were making money hand over fist and what ended up happening is when it came time you can you can hear the executive meeting like this well digital is here but sir if we start to make digital cameras we're going to cannibalize the re the renewal income that we get from photo processing and you know all the small printing and all the other services, and think of all our our retail stores. There was a lot of protectionism of status quo going on in in those meetings. And whenever that starts to happen, we can't change because of our prior investments. Yeah. The the person has to go back to uh, microeconomics 101, uh, which, and remember that they have this uh, old, law that you can't, that what you put in, once you buy something, uh, you don't need to consider anymore. You've bought it, done, it's over. Uh, And now you need to get ready, should you move forward, should you move on. Uh, And so those sunk costs are sunk, they're gone, you know, you can't, uh, you know, it's almost like, well, okay, what's the new revenue stream that's through digital uh, photography? How do we take our 60, how do we take our 40 billion who are seeing some attack on our revenue uh, but we're still ahead of everybody else Uh, how do we take that and turn some of it into you know digital mastery and and that didn't happen Um, and so that 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 type of scenario plays out again and again and even more so during COVID-19 where you know, all of a sudden, almost every industry has been changed and almost every executive who was a Luddite, who didn't care about technology, had their secretary open their emails uh, and print them for them <laughs> still, uh, has 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 all of a sudden become a master of email, has all of a sudden, you know, mastered the, you know, video and Zoom and microphones and everything.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. And, and so then with that tremendous shift, if we're also not saying, Hey, wait a second. Uh, My whole life has changed. So shouldn't my business be following uh, this? as Well, Uh, wait. And then even before that question, my customer's life has changed. What does that portend for the next five years, you know, uh, as well? And. You can hear again the executive board session. Well, you know, as soon as things uh, turn back to when everything is released, you know the customers will come back as usual. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Better find out what they're doing. You know that they've been missing you for three months. They're still alive and they're still enjoying things. What are they enjoying if it's not you?
0: <laughs> yeah. I guess it's it's accelerated so much, hasn't it? What's already been going on in retail for. Ten plus years, but now you know consumers really know. Actually, retail brands—they don't need a shop. You know, we don't need to go to the physical outlet to buy things. It can really come to us. And although it was was already front of mind, it's just even pushed that so much more into the into the centre now for consumers. Uh, and we're going to see—I would imagine—lots more new entrants coming in, as well as some of the incumbents fall fall by the wayside. And I think Keith, you wanted to also talk a little bit around. Um, tourism and some of the blurring of borders what that means
1: sure well the blurring of borders goes across all these industries too the for for retail um, certainly buying something you if it was it was borderless before with lazada and amazon making it so easy to bring things over and now it's really become uh, even more you just it's one click whether you're buying something next door or Or half a world away and for tourism there's this other very curious aspect you know tourism had this tremendous benefit from business travel so a business traveler would fly somewhere and bring their wife or kids Um, the business traveler would go somewhere for work and then bring the family back there for vacation and now um, a number of exec- senior leaders I've talked with have said, Keith, uh, you know, chief operating officer at a bank said, uh, I have, 50, I have uh, 50 different locations I visit each year. But now with this Zoom, I just go and I we have a discussion and I finish and I feel so much more effective as a leader. I need to do cost cutting anyway. The first Places that's getting cut is travel, because I don't go and fly and then get there and talk and then and then get drawn into the additional side discussions, you know, for dinner and a drink and everything else. He says I well, could spend stuff. more time, you know, yeah, <laughs> exactly, yeah spend more time with the family and uh, be very effective with the discussions yeah. uh, as well, and so that business travel cut, then goes a step further, which is, you know, you, you've seen these lockdowns where one day you're allowed to go in, Japan added six more countries to their uh, th- their list of countries that can't come to Japan. And so the next day uh, you have your ticket booked, you're ready to go, you find out when you get there, you have to go on quarantine or worse you know, those long travels, you know, 16-hour flights, 20-hour flights, inevitably you might have a temperature or get some sniffles or something like that. And then all of a sudden you're getting tested and in quarantine, you know, where, or put, worse, put in the hospital where all the rest of the people have COVID-19. So if you didn't have it, you're going to get it. Um, business travels hit, So Tourism is going to be significantly hit too. But what this opens up is virtual reality. Now, this has been a slow and steady thing, but, um, and it was overhyped five, 10 years ago, you know, virtual reality was gonna be the thing, you know, for uh, warehouses were gonna have virtual reality, everywhere was gonna have virtual reality uh, 10 years ago, when Google had their Google Glasses and augmented reality and stuff. That stuff didn't yet come to pass uh, as big, and it's a good warning about the hype cycle of technology. Um, but we, what what we do see is in old age homes, and and most recently, my wife brought my my mother in law. She's 82, and she brought uh, our phone, put it in one of those little uh, virtual viewers, and let grandma, you know, go and look around at uh, Israel. Uh, go and look around at Greece and uh, places that, uh, since she had a stroke, it's really gonna, gonna really gonna be hard for her to get to. And so that type of new tourism, um, you know, it's not good. It's not the same. You don't get the Greek olives and honey and you know those type of things, obviously. But but not everyone can travel. You know, if even when even when the airlines open up who is going to feel very good to put their 70 year old mom or grandma on a plane mm. you know at the, when they're at the most risk right that's going to be very tough so but yet how do you deprive them of some of the great travels and experiences and things like that so how can tourism kind of combine these technologies with maybe the, the nearby Greek restaurant, right? Where there is the Greek honey and there is the nice olives and such. So at least you have like a 4, 4D experience, right? Not just a view of, of things virtually, uh, but that sense of, uh, you know, being at, at least a, a restaurant there uh, in Greece. And so this is a great time to look at those types of technologies um, as well. All this to say, I'm, and I'm sure listeners will say, ah, oh, what type of nonsense is this? You know, who would go on a virtual travel? Well, guess what? If you have a stroke, you don't have much choice.
0: Yeah.
1: If you're over 70, you're looking at, do I get COVID-19 on an airplane? Uh, the choice is, you know, this much bigger question. Uh, and so then the, the tourist industry has to look at their customer and say, you know, those 70 to 80 year olds were some of my top demographic because they had the cash flow and the kids were gone and everything else. What am I going to do? And the cruise industry is devastated, right? Who would feel safe to go on a cruise after what happened to the Diamond Princess in, in Tokyo and all these things? Like, it's going to be a tremendous change uh, around this. Um, and one that, you know, there's an opportunity to be a second mover. Uh, there's already some companies to do this. But It's okay to be a second or fifth or hundredth mover as people begin to learn and and look at this as an interesting alternative.
0: Yeah, I think uh, Expedia and and TripAdvisor have been doing it already. They've been doing this with virtual tour groups and consumers have been taking this up through the lockdown period. So I do think it's here to stay. And I agree with you. I I think, yeah, one thing is the elderly, you know, would you want to take them on a plane? Would you want to put them at risk like that? I think the other thing is, well, flying was already bit of an inconvenience right some of the things you'd have to go to go through no one really liked to be in an airport a lot of security checks now you've got the added thing on top of the health screenings and and the worry about getting COVID-19 so it's I guess it even pushes more to the forefront things like virtual reality uh, as a consideration of doing it in that place
1: and something that's different it's going to be radically different but um, nothing wrong with us Doing and looking at things very differently. Yeah. Who would have thought we'd be doing just a Zoom call for this, uh, or not a call, but the, an audio like this from t- different locations?
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I think we last we last saw each other one year ago at the ProcureCon yeah. Asia Summit. If you'd if you'd uh, had a time machine and and I went back in time now and I told me and you at that ProcureCon event one year ago that we'd be doing this and what the world would have gone through, I don't think either of us would but would have believed ourselves.
1: Yep, exactly. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Not at all. Uh,
0: no. So, yeah, I guess, you know, the, the importance, the, the really, the, the key takeaway then from that first step is um, learning and, and the importance of thinking differently. And I guess it goes back to the most dangerous saying in business. You know, that's the way it's always been done. You can't, you cannot think like that anymore. So step two, Keith, was was data. I think you were going to talk us around uh, data.
1: There's this also, an, uh, and always it's been done like this idea around data, um, where we don't share enough data with each other uh, across industries. Um, and so, and, and we don't think through deeply enough on the various impacts uh, and the puts and calls that occur uh, in our business. And, and let me back it up with some inf- with some facts. Um, on the data side, the, we never really cared about the data. What we cared about were the answers. You know, when, uh, you, when we, the old days of the crystal ball, remember the fortune teller? Mm-hmm. Uh, we would just go in and someone – the dream was you'd go in and you'd you – know, the person would tell you what your fortune would be did you ever recall someone saying to the fortune teller, you know, can I set up a server and can we collect all the data that you're basing this on and let's look, you know, all the inputs, you know, family members, let's look at every move, every action, we'll crunch it and look at the mathematical analysis and come up with a PhD paper and, you know, uh, we'll fix the data too, or we'll clean up all the data that's not right. Did that happen at the fortune teller? No. <laughs> the person just said, what will happen next? And so, if you think, if we look at it um, and consider how um, businesses go in terms of the sales forecast,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and it's very much the same thing. What what's our sales going to be next year? Well, we're going to go up by five percent. No, eight percent. We need to make margin. Well, maybe ten. You know, and then there's some math that's done well this is free cash flow and some of the different things people come in and say let's look at the data this is a very good first step and what type of data the data that answer the specific question what will my sales be like it's not to answer the whole world of how my company is going to run and you know what what's my quality going to be all these different things or it's a very specific question. So we never cared about data. What we cared about was the answer. And mm-hmm. then once we got the answer, we be, then we began to care about the data. Well, is it right? W- where did you get it from? Did you look at all aspects? And and by the way, now here's a deeper question. Don't just tell me about the sales. Tell me sales by product, by location, you know, by, by what are my competitors' sales. And so the... there are two different ways to get to actionable intelligence. One way is what I call the vendor preferred method. The vendor preferred method. The vendors will say, hey, listen, get all your data into a central place. Hire data scientists. By the way, In order to do this, you need a big server, you need cloud, you need compute, you need on-premise, off-premise, and you need a database and all this software as well. And and the reason I call that vendor, I hope you can begin to see why it's a vendor-focused way because you're spending on the vendor all the way through. Once you have this big box and you collect all the data, which is never really all the data, by the way, You realize if you, if the CFO, a lay person, comes along and says, "Okay, what's the return on investment?" The answer, IT, and maybe the business sponsor will give, "Well, we have all the data in one place." Well, well so you basically you've copied the data from different places, right? <laughs> so no no business value actually, zero business value. In fact, it's a business cost. It's a, a potentially even a liability. Yep. The, because you've just put it in a place, you haven't answered any questions yet. Now, the other way is the business focused way, which is what is the most important question we need to answer or our customers asking us, uh, what's the CEO concerned about, you know, this, this, this is the focus and then you begin to collect the data specifically to answer that question. And you calculate the formulas specifically to answer that question and then you anticipate what the next question the boss is going to (laughs) have as well if he's asking about sales the next very next question they're going to ask is and do we have enough supply to make it right Uh, and so this is where you if you refocus to the business side the amount of data that you get is going to be different the quality of the data is going to be better and the, the variety of the data will be much wider because you'll realize that um, if I'm trying to answer a question about my company, I cannot look just within the four walls. I have to look at supply, I have to look at my customers and most challenging for most companies, I have to collect data on my competitors. And this is a real, missing hole and um, you know SAP doesn't have a competitor's data module for example that's that shows you how have you ever tried to play chess without being able to see the moves of your of your opponent that would be rather hard right like if they ha- they could see your moves, but they had invisible pieces, <laughs> and all of a sudden your your queen was taken, <laughs> you, you never knew why.
0: It like <laughs> you really didn't like chess and you were just interested in a very short game. <laughs>
1: oh, that's right. That's yeah. exactly right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I love that. And so <laughs> we. Uh, I just finished with this point: is that um, business leaders, company like Procter and Gamble, have considered. Um, getting to answers and, and having the uh, right to win as part of their DNA. So uh, they look at market share and they look at um, what the discounts were by the competitors and store sure. that and get to see what they, how that impacted last year's sale and so forth. And so it, it's really exciting. Um, uh, and so it's an area, again, focus on the customer. Yeah uh, Even when you're trying to get uh, data in place. It's not the data that was important, it was
0: the answers. Yeah, I guess the only really important metric in any successful data campaign is not the the analytics or how much data you've stored, it's uh, is it relevant to your
1: customers. Yes, yeah. exactly.
0: Yeah, and I think then the mistake a lot of companies make, like you mentioned in the first point there, is that they think, oh we just we need to have a data strategy, so they just go off and do it and they move all their data and they store their data before they've actually taken a step back. And they think, actually, what are our most important data pillars, if you like? You know, and it's and it's actually listen, listening to our internal customers, our CEO, um, our outwards looking customers and thinking about our competitors. So so let's get into the, the final step. As we've touched on already, COVID-19 and, and the pandemic, it's changed so much. You've really got to have this. Um, looking at things differently, thinking differently mindset, you've got to be pushing the envelope. Um, You've got to be making sure that you've got good, relevant data that your customers want, that your internal customers want, looking at your competitors and and building up all the relevant information so you can make good, wise decisions. I guess the last step is, what will return after this and, and how should we get ready for that?
1: I think we'll see a good return to people meeting together, albeit in smaller groups. I think that we'll see a good return to health and concern about our own health in a number of different areas um, and the health of others, whether it be uh, physical health, uh, mental health, appreciation of family health, etc. I think we'll also see some questions. You know, what is the family versus work? Uh, I've heard a lot of wives, including my own, say, uh, finally, Keith is at home. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I've had lunch at home uh, a lot, and it's really good. (laughs) And so I'm not sure I'm ready personally to go back to having lunch at the office and, and so forth. And so there's an employee value proposition change that's here too. Um, and employers have to think very carefully because if you, you know, some people thrived being at home, got even more productive, you know, no, no need to call in for sick days because I can still join the Zoom call even if I'm sick and tired, you know, I don't have to get on the taxi, whereas I, they would have called in sick. And, Never mind about public holidays, you know, just can join <laughs> and do what, right? People were forgetting what day it was of the week and so yeah. forth. So, so the work level for your most conscientious employer, employees has increased. For those that were a little less conscientious, let's say, or abused the system, it's going to be a good question as to should they stay? Because even when they were in the office, were they doing good things? You know, So there are some good hard questions to ask uh, at this point. Um, and then finally, uh, learning and education. Yep. This is a time when if you didn't come out of uh, this scenario without having learned new skills, uh, without having – uh, develop maybe your own business idea or or some way some new approach for your own comp- for the company that you work at, um, or you didn't develop some past some new relationships with people that you hadn't spoken to in a long time. Uh, then the the question the thing will be that you, this time has been a waste mm-hmm. uh, for you. So. I really hope that in these in this what we hope will be the last few days or months of the lockdown, um, that people will look over and say, "Hey, wait a second, what could I be learning?" Um, We know that in retail and tourism and supply chain, uh, and as a result, all the related industries, uh, restaurants, clothing, um, etc., transport. You know, all these things have changed. So, or or become less, shouldn't I go into dot, dot, dot? And I would like to propose, you know, a a couple areas that I think are evergreen. Yeah, go on. Number one is, we don't have enough people that answer questions with facts. We just don't. Uh, Meaning that, you know, people get concerned, oh, is AI gonna take over our jobs? No, because AI is not close, we, had, we don't have the data, we don't have the questions, we don't have the, the pipeline. And so there's so many jobs in this area of answering questions. But I think that people get scared because they call it a data scientist and it's, we don't need another data scientist. What we need, and this, by the way, this is from someone who teaches data science, right? Yeah. Uh, what we need is someone who's gonna at, help answer the toughest questions and learn from the answer and even take it and build upon it and so forth and recognize that you can do that anywhere in the world now. So talent isn't by geography. It it was never by race or culture. Uh, It's now by whole world that we have in terms of access for talent. So at the same time, what that means is that you can sell your talents Throughout the whole world, <laughs> so there's this very interesting uh, and new engagement model um, that we can work with. The second, the second thing is education. We have a huge opportunity to uh, learn from people about things that maybe we were that were mystifying, like what is AI, and, and And why, in my view, is it still far away for most companies? Uh, What is fintech and financial technology? And financial technology was, you know, or finance was spoken about in the Bible. You know, even Jesus said, give your money to the money changers. So talk about an evergreen industry. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's not going away anytime soon. So, um... You know, and, and what does it take to do trading for commodities, for assets, for pricing and supply chain? And again, where do you need to sit? You can sit anywhere. What do you need to do? You need to answer questions.
0: Yeah.
1: And so- I guess, I guess
0: the main thing though, Keith, is that because there's a lot of people out of work, You know, we're talking here about data science, about education, You know, how do we move these people back into the workforce? How do we get yeah. them to do things like data science? How do we educate them? I guess the barrier is for a lot of people. It might seem intimidating when you say yeah. data science. So I guess is the key thing: is it really trying to humanize these things? You know, not make them so intimidating. Make make the yeah. steps even much more realistic, and and maybe governments can help people take those steps. I'm not sure.
1: Yes, yes, Danny, a hundred percent. You know, demystify this. It's not hard. It's yeah. just different. Uh, and so – and unfortunately, a lot of times we were demoralized in our math class or crushed in science. And so people come out and say, well, that, that area is not for me. Um, we have to speak in regular terms. Like, I put it like this.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: If we like to use our credit card or, or if we like to use Grab. <laughs> or Goldjack or Food Panda, or whatever, we're doing data science, and we're doing fintech and everything, mm-hmm. but we're, in fact, because that's what those companies purely are. Yeah. And to make it a little bit simpler, we have to figure out, and I don't have the exact answer for this, but we have to, to encourage each other with this fact. Mm-hmm. A lot of people who were concerned about technology have become pretty good at it because they had no choice. They went yep. like this like this podcast, like the Zoom, uh, installing various cameras and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. We had to do it, and we did it.
0: Well, <laughs> definitely I think the Zoom shift's been the most interesting. So if you look back in February, March time at people using Zoom and just compare that to now, it's like... People are so much better. It's so much more polished. They've got a headset They're looking into the camera. Yes. Um, they've got a background that they prefer. You think back to February, people couldn't dial in. There was heavy breathing going on. Yes. Uh, on. <laughs> <laughs> it's just you know, trial, trial by error, right? Trial by fire, I guess.
1: It, it, it's trial by fire indeed. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. People were still dialing in. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so true. Um, yeah. And so I... I want to give everyone hope in in this crisis during this time because um, there's new jobs that we never thought of before. Um, There's new companies setting up that that have a tremendous amount of business. There's new uh, opportunities, and all we need to do is take the first step. That's it. Just take the first step. Get a little curious, you know. Google the information. Um, perhaps even consider talking with me about National University of Singapore and the uh, the fintech program that we have there, which is just to let people from retail and tourism and people that have never felt comfortable with technology. Maybe even had them had it beaten out of them for some reason, uh, and to let them get comfortable with it and to touch it and feel it and say, and have that aha moment where it's like, oh, this is how it worked all along. And when your eye, I love to see people's eyes open up like that because then you know, okay, this is great. They're, they're going to fly. They're going to soar like eagles. And uh, that's the, that's what we want for everybody.
0: Yeah. I love it. Keith, I got so much value out of uh, all these different steps. So, so I really want to thank you for, for talking me and the listeners through Uh, all these points in so much detail around transforming the economy and and resetting the expectations of what and how we should learn. Uh, I just, uh, I'm aware that we're running a little bit short on time. So I just wondered if before we close, you could share kind of one life or career lesson with the listeners.
1: When I came to academia in 2012 and I came out of Estee Lauder into the classroom and uh, was there. I came in. To the classroom with my red tie blue suit you know ready to teach and uh had my lesson all set up slides uh based on you know corporate standard everything right so i get up in front of the students and i'm looking at them from the perspective of i'm a i just recently was a executive in in a great company and here young students uh, who are just you know coming up and in their early twenties, you know, gr- great that uh, we'll we'll have a class here. And so then I began to teach, and I said, you know, let's talk about basis point uh, improvement and cost of goods sold and and uh, how to and what you can do in the warehouse and, and so forth. And I had 50, 50 pairs of eyes looking at me blankly, yeah, because they didn't necessarily know uh what basis points were they had never been in a warehouse before (laughs) so the whole you know story and uh need basis and everything was completely unrelated to anything they had done and so one of the most one of the most heartening things i learned was when my students began to ask questions and what have you is that I needed to actually look up to my students not look down look up to them and look up to them as the customer look yep. up to them with care even more than that with care To say if they have a quite when when they when my students ask me a question my first personal question is Keith maybe perhaps you didn't explain that concept well enough okay and so that's like a a, a mental shift which mm-hmm. is we uh i sh i shouldn't look ever look down at people you know I look up to them look up and share the content in a way that they get and if they ask me a question it's my fault. I needed to explain it more, or give more context, or provide a clearer pre-assignment, or whatever it might be, because my job is helping them learn. Yeah. And so that was a great life lesson uh, yeah. coming into the classroom uh, to, uh, as a professor, to look up to my students
0: so good I guess as well Keith it takes us a little bit back to what we were just talking around around you know humanizing some of this stuff and and making right. it as easy as possible for people and maybe taking a step back and thinking you know when you write something or you say something uh, am I am I explaining this simply enough would my would my grandma understand what I'm talking about and if not maybe you're using too many overcomplicated words or you're coming at it from the wrong way so I think that's that's so valuable what you've shared that
1: what's the most rewarding part about teaching is uh, that first you get to see people as they learn and they grow uh, and, and then second though after they graduate after they go on in their career when they still reach back and say hello or update me on what's happening uh, one of uh i was so proud at the procurement conference last year because lance one of my students from about six years ago uh, came over and said, Prof. Carter, oh, good to see you here, you know, and because he was at your conference and he was getting the Young Procurement uh, Person of the Year Award. And I was just so proud to, you know, really see that. And uh, it's great to have had an impact on a person's life. So I, as I said at the beginning, I encourage anyone who's in business, try it out. The students will love to hear from you. They, they gain a lot. And you know what? You'll gain a lot too.
0: Yeah, I love it Keith. So finally, how can people get in touch with you if they want to find out more?
1: On LinkedIn a lot, so Keith Carter on, uh, on LinkedIn, and then uh, my, I guess my email address is keithcarter Keith at inus.edu.sg.
0: Keith, thank you so much for coming on the Digital Transformation and Leadership Show. And sharing your wisdom with the listeners.
1: This is my pleasure. Thanks for for the wonderful chat too, Danny. Uh, and keep on going. You know you're doing a great job here.
0: You've been listening to the Digital Transformation and Leadership podcast. I'm Danny Levy, and next time we'll have another senior executive talking us through their leadership story and all things digital transformation. Until then, take care. The Digital Transformation and Leadership Podcast is a Blue Aurora Media Production.